marked the 61st anniversary since Jamaica gained independence in 1962. So as a Jamaican, I couldn't resist. But, um, you know, sharing with you, um, you know, this momentous day. And um, I have to say, I had to kind of hide this T-shirt and then take it out, um, you know, sometime about 4 o'clock this morning to hide it and so forth. Because my wife was after it. <laughs> go to church. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, no, I'm, I'm, doing the minute, I'm doing the word, so I need to have a Jamaican church. So what can I say, Jamaica? I'll share a few things before we go on to um, the um, sermon that the Lord has laid on my heart. But just say a few things about Jamaica. Yeah. I can rightly assume that everyone here either is a Jamaican a relative of a Jamaican, or married to a Jamaican, a friend of a Jamaican, or dare I say it, an enemy of a Jamaican. <laughs> okay. So let me do just a short quiz about Jamaica um, before going on to the message today. And Jamaica has a national anthem, or it's called a national anthem. I don't know if you could just put it up briefly for me, please, Ambrav. Yeah. The national anthem. Just, yeah, I'm not gonna ask. I'm not gonna try and sing it or ask anybody to sing it or ask them to play it. But why I particularly like just to put up the anthem? Did you know? Okay, sorry. Apologies. Apologies. But not to worry. But not to worry. Um, but in essence, um, one of the things about the Jamaican national anthem that it's not actually a song as such. It's actually a prayer, and it starts with the word. Anyone knows? What's the first two words? Eternal Father, Eternal Father, bless our land, right? Those are the words. So it's a prayer, not so much a song. I'm interested, uh, Brother Mike would be interested in this. Uh, a couple of my um, cousins, Jamaicans, uh, who are also members of the Watchtower Society, I would say to them, when you actually sing or uh, repeat the word Eternal Father, doesn't it mean that if he is an eternal father, it must mean he must have an eternal son? Right, okay, all right. Well, theologically, I've said you, you can't have an eternal father unless you have got eternal sons. So therefore, Jesus must be co-eternal with the father. Right, anyway, not going to get sidetracked into that today. So let's just do um, a small quiz, just to kind of um, help you to kind of... Uh, understand a little bit more about Jamaica, to find out what you may or may not know about Jamaica. Right, start with a provocative question. Who were the first slaves brought to Jamaica? Where did they come from? Where did you think they came from? No, it wasn't Africa. Where? No? No? They actually came from Ireland. The Irish were the first slaves. The Irish were the first slaves brought to Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and you'll get to know, yeah, you'll get, you'll get an idea of how that came about, right? Yeah. yeah. Somewhat, you know, when you actually uh, consider the next question. Who was the head of state in the UK when Jamaica became a British territory in 1655? Any idea? Notice I said, I didn't say who was the monarch, I said the head of state. Head of state. <laughs> that should give you a clue. No, I said I didn't. I said note. I didn't say the monarch or the yeah. I said the head of state. 
right? Right. Well, in fact, the head of state when Jamaica became a British territory was none other than the Lord Protector, Oliver Cromwell. Right. Yeah. And Oliver Cromwell is perhaps the most influential political leader across the globe in the last 500 years. Um, but be very careful, be very hesitant, be very sort of um, cautious when you mention his name to people of Irish descent. Right, okay. Now you understand how, right, um, the first slave to Jamaica came from Ireland. It had something to do with Oliver Cromwell um, being leader in the country, in, in, in the UK. And Ireland was the first, what you could say, colony of um, Britain. Next question. Which ethnic group has the longest unbroken history in Jamaica? Any idea? Have a guess. Right. It's Jamaicans of Jewish heritage. They first came to the island as refugees to escape the Spanish and Portuguese Inquisition in the 15th century. When Oliver Cromwell actually drove out the Spanish, he allowed right, um, the Jewish presence to continue. So Jamaica's had, um, for the best part of its kind of our modern history, a Jewish presence. And the Jews have left an indelible mark on Jamaican culture. How many people have ever had a patty? Have you ever had a patty? Right. Who do you think actually brought together the ingredients and made the patty? It was, it was the Jewish people in Jamaica. Patty is a Jamaica, is a, is a Jewish, of Jewish origin. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And there are many Jamaicans who have Jewish heritage. Believe it or not, the most famous Jamaican of all. Bob Marley and his um, father side is of Jewish heritage. Okay. Next question. Where in Africa were most of the slaves transported from to Jamaica? Which were the countries? Which countries? Huh? Ghana and Sierra Leone. Right, yes. Over 100... One, one and a half million slaves were transported from West Africa, right, to Jamaica. And when slavery ended, only 300,000 survived. But it wasn't just simply due to mortality. Many of those slaves were actually resold um, to other regions um, that was occupied by the British. So, for instance, many African-Americans um, can trace their direct lineage to Jamaica. Um, and in fact, if we had time, we could discuss you know, explore how, in fact, the church that started in the Caribbean was what actually had such an influence in North America. So in many ways, you could, um, there's research to suggest that um, the American, the African-American church has its roots in Jamaica. But anyway, that's for another time. My final question. Can you name any of the Christian pioneers or what you could say, one of the pioneers of the Christian faith in Jamaica. Do you know of any of them? Does any name come to mind? Right, okay. I'm right, just going to say a three, uh, three characters. 
First one is a gentleman named George Lyle. George Lyle was an African-American slave, but he was actually owned by a Christian um, follower of the Baptist church. And his master actually provided with and financially supported him to be trained as a minister. And George Lyle became the first trained African-American minister. But when Britain lost the War of Independence in the late 18th century, George Lyle left with the British contingent and went to Jamaica. And it was whilst in Jamaica that he started what was known as the Ethiopian Baptist Church. Because he had seen from the Bible how Ethiopia, Ethiopia right, had been blessed and was promised blessing by God. And so he established the term the Ethiopian Baptist Church. And George Lyle, alongside right, his assistant Moses Baker, was very instrumental in many of the slaves. And not only slaves, even some of the plantation owners and others becoming Christians. So if there's one person that you could say was very, very, very much at the forefront of Christianity being established and being spread across Jamaica, it was George Lyle. Right? Yeah. Second person I'd like to actually share a little about is a very extraordinary man named William Nib. The image. Right. An English Baptist minister and missionary to Jamaica. And William Dib worked tirelessly and sacrificially, right, for the abolition of slavery in Jamaica. When he first came as a mission, a missionary to Jamaica, he was told in no uncertain terms by the plantocracy to only preach salvation of the soul. But when William Nib started missionary work amongst slaves. He said, but when you see the suffering, when you see the hardship, when you see the inhumanity, he says, in good conscience, he could not just be addressing, right, their spiritual needs. He also has to address their human condition. And he said he'd be an hypocrite if he who, ex who enjoy human freedom wasn't to address also the condition of slave. So this brother, this man, who I also hold in the highest esteem, right? Yeah, went all out to campaign against slavery. Came back to Britain and really got many people here, many Christians, to also begin to support and sponsor the abolition movement right across the Americas. On returning to Jamaica, he was hounded, he was imprisoned, he was blocked, he was attacked, right? Almost never from by the plantocracy. But never did he relent. He continued working tirelessly for the abolition. And then there was at one time, just to show you how revered he was amongst, right? the slave population. There was a rumor 
that William Nib had been killed and practically every slave in Jamaica came out and was about to come out and revolt and were about to set alight every plantation. But he was on a spiritual retreat and he came back from a spiritual retreat and he says, no, I'm alive. And as a result, right, that revolt, revolt, um, re- um, rebellion didn't take place. And even today in Jamaica, he's still so highly revered and regarded because he received the highest honor that any Jamaican received posthumously, the Order of Merit. Only very few people in Jamaica has ever received that, but William Nib was given that honor of the Order of Merits. And in fact, um, you've heard of Usain Bolt, right? Usain Bolt attended the school named after William Nib. So if you ask um, Usain Bolt, what school did you attend? William Nib, right? Yeah, the great missionary, right, and pioneer. And lastly, Dr. Thomas Koch. Right. Thomas Thomas Koch, he started off in the Anglican Church, but was expelled and was invited to become a member of the Methodist movement by none other than John Wesley, the great evangelist. And he was sent on his first mission to the United States. This man, right, was a very gifted jurist. He graduated with a double first from Oxford, right? And certainly would have actually, I think, succeeded, right, as a distinguished lawyer. But his calling was unto Christ to become a full-time missionary. So he was sent to America, the first Methodist minister to be sent to America. And such was his impact that even George Washington, the first American president, invited him to address Congress. And he put one of the first cases for the abolition of slavery to American Congress. But he didn't stay in America, came to Jamaica. And there he started Methodist movement. And what was interesting about Dr. Thomas Koch was this. If you go to Jamaica and you go to many of the other English-speaking islands where there are Cold chapels or Methodist chapels. Somehow he managed to ensure that the churches were built facing the Anglican churches. So, for instance, if you go into Kingston, my hometown, you'll have the parish church of Kingston. And just immediately facing the parish church is Coke Chapel, Methodist church. And that wasn't just for building purposes. Uh, the primary or architectural purpose, the primary reason was the Church of England, the Anglican Church, was very much the church of the plantocracy and was very pro-slavery. And one of the ways in which Coke saw of making a statement against slavery and against the position of the Anglican was to actually build right, chapels, build churches, right, facing as a statement against slavery. Dr. Thomas Koch didn't stay in Jamaica, right? He built many churches in Jamaica, started a number of missionary movements. But he traveled extensively across the Caribbean and even to Africa. You'll find Koch chapels, as they're known, in 
evening Africa. And I would say he's one of, if not the most traveled missionary there ever was. Finally, what is the Jamaican national motto? Say it. Yeah, let's hear it. Out of many, one people. It alludes to the various ethnic groups among the population. Right? There's people from all different kind of ethnic backgrounds which make up the Jamaican population. But it also speaks of the diverse DNA pool shared by most Jamaicans. So, for instance, my ancestry takes me back to Africa, Asia, and Europe. So many are most Jamaicans. But today, right, I'd like to share with you living with painful memories. I left Jamaica 56 years ago with some beautiful memories. Yet, at the same time, a number of painful memories. And the question is, as believers, as humans, how do we fight horrible memories of the past? How do you find relief from living in your mind some of the darkest times of your life? I learned a valuable lesson about smoke damage and charcoal fires. Science tells us that our five senses activate our memories. There will be things that we see, hear, taste, and smell that will recall a story that may have happened to us years ago. It happens to me all the time in London. I walked into a store and heard music playing and immediately my memory went back to my childhood and the first um, album I bought with my own money, you know, my one pound a week, paper round and save up to buy the Jackson 5 <laughs> yeah, album. I see my granddaughter, or I saw my granddaughter bouncing a ball on the streets and thought of the days of playing basketball at school. But the scenario that flooded my mind with the past was watching a toddler being taken to the A&E at King's College Hospital. It brought back vivid memories of my mother. I recall my mother having to take me to the hospital for a major operation on my right hand as a toddler. A little secret, which um, very few people know. I was actually born right-handed. <laughs> I born using my right hand. But because of serious injury, I ended up having to use my left hand. But God is good, right? Because as a sportsman, being left-handed, wow. <laughs> it gave me a certain advantage. <laughs> it gave me a role that sometimes was advantageous, benefited to the team. And yes, but yes, that's how it was for me. So our memories activate, our senses activate the memory and smell and smell is the one that gives the most vivid picture, perhaps, of the past. I think Elder Richard shared with us some time ago something about smell. And it really sort of um, struck a chord with me. He said, yes, somehow smell has a way of actually reminding us much more about something past than perhaps any one of our senses. But before I go any further, I just want to say 
just to have a brief word of prayer and then go on with our message that the Lord has shared, has laid in my heart to share with you. So let me just say a word of prayer and then crack on. Loving Father, we thank you for another day. Thank you that we're able to actually gather here today, Lord. As we left our homes or wherever we had came from, we came because you invited us, Lord. You protected us on the way. You ordered our footsteps as we came here today, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that everything we say and do is to the honor and to the glory of your name. May these words which came from you penetrate every heart. If there are any heart that are troubled, Lord, I pray that that heart will know your peace because, Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You are the wonderful counselor. And so, Lord, be in the midst of us. May your spirit guide and direct every aspect of our time here together as we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, for some, the smell of charcoal fire revives thoughts of maybe barbecues, yeah, and the joy it brings with it. But charcoal made a disciple in the Bible remember the worst day of his life, or perhaps the worst day of his life. His name is none other than Peter. If you remember the story leading up to Jesus' arrest and death, Peter made a bold promise to Jesus at what we commonly know as the Lord's the Last Supper. He said, Though all deny you, Jesus, I will never deny you. What happened after his hubris had to be the darkest day of Peter's life. You could just read the first passage, please, from the Gospel of John. John chapter 18, verse 15 to 18. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priests, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them standing and warming himself. Charcoal. Charcoal makes me think of a holiday weekend. But for Peter, it makes him think of the worst day of his life. It was over a charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus. Peter has just, you could say, 
experienced smoke damage. Because I believe the last thing he ever wanted to smell to activate his memory was charcoal. Another odor that brings back vivid memories to me happened when my lifelong friend, the first friend I had, actually from Nigeria, I first met him in 1967, he's still my close friend today. But I remembered when um, we were in our teenage years. I used to go and uh, knock for him on the way to school because we went to the same school together. And what awaited me left me with a very traumatic memory. As I approached his house, there it was in front. His mom had fallen to her death trying to escape the flames of the fire and even today I still you know recall that moment and in such very traumatic ways and what was even sadder was the fact that my friend and I used to go to church and after that episode he had stopped going to church and still trying to persuade him even till now you know almost 50 years later Right, not to hold God responsible for the tragic death of his mother in that way. He still struggles. He started to kind of um, listen a bit more about the God of grace, right, and that it didn't end there, right? God is greater than our tragedies, right? But, right, it's something I don't talk often about because of the emotions it generates. But, as I'm talking about how horrible memories can shape us, so forth, I thought I'd share with you as my church family. However, from my friend's home, they did manage to rescue certain personal belongings. But these personal belongings had certain fire damage. That included the clothes, the furniture, and the carpet. But what caught my attention was the using of charcoal. Somehow charcoal fights smoke damage. And that is what Jesus does for Peter. Jesus chooses the charcoal method. Moving on. Jesus is resurrected from the dead and is about to see Peter and liberate him from the smoke damage of his horrible past. Deliverance and freedom for Peter would happen over breakfast on a beach. Peter is fishing because he thinks this ministry thing didn't work out the way he thought. He thought he had control of how it, things would unfold, etc., I didn't quite work to his plan and purpose and expectation. So he thought, let me go back to what I know best, my comfort zone, my profession, my job in Galilee, a fisherman. You know, went back, as the Bible had told us, right, to what did. Because after all, right, Jesus, who he had followed, had now died. And what was there left? And I had also let him down. Yeah? So what 
right, what claim do I have to even call his name? Right? Yeah. So Peter went back, right, to what he knew best, which was fishing. But the good news is that Jesus is also, just as Peter goes back, Jesus goes back fishing. The good news is that who is nearby? Jesus is also on the beach. However, Peter doesn't know it. Peter is fishing. And then John sees Jesus from their boat. Can we have the next passage, please? Yeah, John. Yeah, as we know, John, Jesus, John is often described as the disciple who Jesus loved. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but a hundred yards off. Therefore, that disciple, as I said, Jesus, you know, Peter had obviously called out to Peter to notify him that Jesus, could you imagine what was going through Peter's mind? Right? Just imagine what goes to, would go to your mind if you had let somebody down and then suddenly you know that person nearby. Wow. If you were like me, you'd feel somewhat right, emotionally challenged, to say the least. You perhaps want to get out. The way I don't want to make eye contact, you hope that they're just going to just pass by and move away quickly and so on. Right? I sense that's what Peter felt. Peter jumped in the water and swam to the shore. Jesus is there cooking breakfast. After Peter dries off on the sand and is immediately hit in the face with something that has to spiral him to his dark past. It's an odor recognition. Remember to speak about choco, smell of choco. An odor recognition. What is that smell? Peter thought. The Bible tells us what it is. So when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. This is recorded in John chapter 21, verse 9. The smell was charcoal. For Peter, that odor, that smell, doesn't represent Easter and the resurrection. To Peter, the smell of charcoal reminds him of perhaps the worst day of his life. That time when he was, if you remembered, with the slave girl or with the servant girl near the charcoal fire. So the last thing Peter wanted to smell was a charcoal fire. Unknown to him, Jesus was fighting the smoke damage and about to bring healing to Peter. There's something interesting to keep in mind about the resurrection of Jesus. When God raised Jesus from the dead, question, why didn't God fix his physical body? Why did God leave the scars? Why were the nail scars visible to human eyes? Can it be that God was telling us something through these what I call forever scars? I think we were being told that you can live abundantly 
with your greatest wounds. George Lyle, which I mentioned earlier, didn't allow his birth an ordeal in slavery, preventing him from fulfilling his purpose in Christ. You and I can go forward, though you have scars to remind you of the past. Yes, I still have the scar here. The scar on my right hand. Right, that I had, just from that time. But by the grace of God, I was still able to get through university writing with my left hand. Give God thanks. <laughs> yeah. So we can go through and live abundantly in Christ, even with the scars of our past. Right? Scars may remind of the past. Right? But they don't necessarily need to keep us there. Somehow we must understand that the resurrected Christ is forever the wounded Christ. But yet, you and I can go forward though we have scars to remind us of the past. Jesus begins the healing process after Peter smells the charcoal. John chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Say, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, not, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Come and have breakfast is the key. In that time, in that period, and to a certain extent even to our day, a meal in the Middle East was significant. You never ate with your enemy. You only ate with your friends. When Jesus said, come and have breakfast to Peter, I believe those were the first words of the resurrected Jesus to Peter personally. He heard other things post-resurrection, but those were his words that he heard while smelling charcoal. Jesus was telling Peter, despite what you smell, you also hear words of restoration. When you and I are faced with reoccurring thoughts that take you back or take me back to a horrible past, your ammunition to fight those thoughts is breakfast with Jesus. It's opening up our ears to him speaking to you and me despite what your memory is pulling you to. Each morning, have breakfast with Jesus and let him speak. Open up his word. Breakfast is waiting. I have to believe that charcoal took on a new memory for Peter. Instead of him thinking of denial, I believe Peter's mind was renewed and he now thought of a day on a beach when his friend cooked breakfast for him. God had healed his smoked damage. Just as God renewed Peter's mind, 
he can do the same for you. We don't need to be imprisoned by anything in our past. Jesus said he came to set the captive free. Right? And he still is setting the captive free. Even as Christians sometimes we get bogged down. Oh, this has happened. It's something within our family or in our sort of history or our people's history. We seem to somehow get, you know, ensnared and prison by No. We can find true freedom, freedom in Christ. Right? Just as Peter did. Yeah? And Jesus is waiting to renew us day by day. So, if you want to be set free, have breakfast with Jesus at the start of the day. Amen? Amen. Right, let's just pray. Give God thanks. What a savior. Hallelujah. Jesus, we know that we so often fail you. We've let you down. But yet, Lord, because you're so full of compassion, grace, forgiveness, you welcome us back with open arms. Just as how you were restored Peter who had denied you. How many of us could say where somebody had all but betrayed us, denied us in our moment of crisis, that we would just welcome them back and start afresh? Only you, Jesus. And so, Lord, if anyone here today feel imprisoned, bounded by their past, I pray, Lord, that they can just look to you. Who is still setting the captive free, can still set them free and put them on a journey of freedom, a freedom in you, Christ, a freedom to live life abundantly and live to the glory and to the honor of your name. Whatever may have been known in our past, Lord, right? you, the only one who is able to forget the past, said you're willing to throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And so, Lord, give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory for, for all what you've done for us and continue to do for us. There isn't anything we can do to add to you. There's nothing we can do to reward you. It's only because of your goodness, your love, your kindness that we're able to come. And all we can give, Lord, is just gratitude and thankfulness and praise. Be pleased to accept our gratitude. Be pleased to accept our praise. Be pleased to accept our glory. All because of the risen Christ. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.